turn together to the book of Mark, chapter 1. Thanks to the band uh, for leading us and for Taylor and that prayer. Um, you know, Lent has a darkness to it, and uh, it's supposed to be heavy, and so it's awesome that it can be heavy, but that we also know the end of the story, which kind of always energizes us in, in a very good way. As you go to Mark 1, let me... Um, Remind you that this Friday night is a parenting workshop that we have, that we've had on the calendar for a while, and it'll be here at Grace, it'll all be in the Fellowship Hall on Friday evening this week. We'll send out an email, we probably will ask for uh, some commitments, because that helps with two things. One, there will be food, so we need to know uh, how many fillets to have prepared uh, or it might not be fillets, that's my disclaimer. There's a chance it won't be. But we need to know how much food to make, and we need to know how many child care workers uh, we need to have lined up. And so it is as much as, like, I know everyone like hates committing to things, but we're going to ask you to do that. And those are the, those are the big reasons right there. Uh, so we can have enough food and have enough uh, child care lined up. And the topic is going to be something, like, we're, we're not going to, like, uh, blast this one out there on social media and like try to use this as an opportunity for you to bring your friends who are parents and that kind of stuff. Uh, there will be some where we will do that. We'll try to use it as a chance to make connections. This is one, this one is a little more in-house and this is why we're going to be talking about um, like what kids need in their development uh, in terms of, of how they relate to uh, to. Uh, people of the same sex and people of the opposite sex, and how that forms over the course of their like of their growth, and that begins with what is like what do they need from dad, what do they need from mom, and how that changes at different points along the way, so that whenever they are, are like all those uh, connections and ideas and everything is being formed as they are growing up, how do you produce adults who have a healthy understanding of who they are and who other people are and what those relationships are supposed to look like. And so it's everything from, from uh, sexuality to interpersonal relationship skills to the kinds of bonds that we form and, and that kind of stuff where everything to form as God has designed and intended. And, uh, and so we're going to watch, a, it's a video that we'll watch for a little bit and we'll kind of have like a listening guide sort of, sort of thing and then we'll kind of talk about it afterwards. And um, it's really not the kind of, uh, there's no uh, shameful reason why we wouldn't want to like, put it all out there, but keeping it in-house makes sense because we all kind of know each other and we can have dialogue about difficult conversa- like topics like this in a very healthy way. And, um, but when you invite the whole public to come, they don't have the context that we have from being together in community and in covenant and stuff like that. And so, uh, that kind of, it changes the audience a little bit and it just kind of becomes one of those things where we feel like it's best to, uh, for it to be like our folks. So if you're here tonight and you're not one of our folks, you're included in the, our folks part. Okay. Uh, we can, we can work with you on that. But in terms of like 
you know, the black hole that is Facebook. You know, like we just aren't going to like go that route with this one. But that's going to be the topic. Um, it is it is going to to cover a lot of different uh, aspects of development uh, in like in the points that he makes. But his lecture itself is is about the de- development of sexuality and 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 so that's like the focus of his like lecture. But what we're going to try to do is sort of kind of blow that up into a bigger discussion about just overall healthy relational development, uh, particularly what do, you, what do your kids need from dad, what do they need from mom, as they get to different stages of life. And uh, so I think it'll be a, a, a great discussion, it'll be interesting, it'll be something that's not uh, probably talked about a whole lot, and so we would love for all you, all you parents to be a part of that, uh, so that'll be coming up Friday. And then, um, yeah, okay, so... Mark chapter 1, we're just trucking along through the ministry of Jesus. We are into a very long-range series going through the book of Mark, one little passage at a time. And we come to the, the, the calling of some of his disciples in the text. And so let me read it, and then we will uh, kind of pick it apart just a little bit. Starting in verse 16 of Mark chapter 1. Passing alongside the Sea of Galilee... He saw Simon and Andrew, the brother of Simon, casting a net into the sea, for they were fishermen. And Jesus said, follow me, and I will make you become fishers of men. And immediately they left their nets and followed him. And going on a little farther, he saw James, the son of Zebedee, and John, his brother, who were in their boat mending the nets. And immediately he called them. And they left their father Zebedee in the boat with the hired servants and followed him. So, what does God want us to know? What does God want us to do? Those are the two questions kind of driving the sermon structure for, for the next couple of weeks. That every time we open the Bible, every time we take this book that is not like any other book, it's a very special book, and we open it, we go to a passage that passage is there because God wants us to know something, and God wants us to do something. And sometimes it's really obvious, and sometimes you have to dig a little bit more. But personal interaction with the Word, it really is that simple, that God makes this book come alive. So what does God want us to know? What does He want us to do? We'll start with know. Um, I pulled out just four things. You probably see more, uh, see more than I do in this. Um, one thing that he wants us to know is, is to see the, the pursuit of Jesus in this. Like Jesus, as a rabbi, was it, like the custom was that disciples would come to the rabbi. But here we have him going to find these guys. Now these were guys that he had met like maybe, maybe as much as a year earlier. And so he goes to them, he pursues them, and he sees them out there on the boat, and he doesn't wait for them to come back. He, he interrupts them at work, you know, how awkward, right? Uh, and that is like something we're supposed to pay attention to, that, that God is a pursuer of people. And that he pursues because like, there's like legitimate desire that he has. Like he desires you. Like he wants to be like... like to, for you to know him. He knows you already. He wants you to know him. He desires to have that relationship there intact. In it's not something that he has to do or, or you know, there's no obligation there. Like it's just, he's a true pursuer. And that might be a very simple, like a very simple thing to know, but that might be the thing that you needed to hear 
you know, tonight. It's like, yeah, he, he does, right? It's not about us trying to get to him. It's about the fact that he came to us. And so we see it even, even demonstrated here that when it comes to his, his disciples and his followers, he's gonna, he makes the first move. He initiates. He comes after us in that. The second thing uh, to, that I think he wants us to know uh, is that the first disciples were fishermen. Now, to us, that doesn't really mean a whole lot. Most of, most of the fishermen that you know are recreational fishermen. Uh, not too many of them probably do that for a living. Um, and, uh, but you, you might know someone, though, who that's, that's like their, their job. You know, that's where their income is found, is uh, bringing in hauls and hauls and hauls of shrimp and fish and that kind of stuff. That The seafood industry, especially where we live, is real prominent. In this day... To say that they were fishermen would have been uh, basically saying that there was nothing uh, extraordinary about them. That, that Jesus, when it came time for his disciples, he didn't, he didn't necessarily say, well, let me go find the cool kids. You know, let me go find the powerful, let me go find the rich, let me go find the, the, uh, the you know, whatever the category is that you want to think about. Um, when it came to, to like, who, who do I want to follow, like to spend life with for the next three years that I can train to hand the keys to the kingdom to him? Who do I want? He went to folks who there just wasn't anything extraordinary about them. It's really countercultural, you know. I mean, whether it's business or whether it's like even like church ministry. A lot of times you, you think what needs to happen is you need to, you need to find the influencers, you, know, you need to find the, find the cool kids, find the rich kids, find the whatever kids, get them on your side to kind of build something. And so if you can get the cool ones to come, then everybody will come. And uh, I mean, for years I've been around like church ministry and youth ministry is, is like the worst. Like it's like for so long youth ministry, youth ministers felt the pressure to grow their youth ministry so much, and so they would try so hard to get the quarterback, you know, to come and to come to Wednesday night youth. You know, it was like this, like really big thing. I remember, like year, years ago, um, we were doing the ring. It was Sunday night, and the band, kind of like now, like the band, like prayed beforehand, and we like come out, and we looked over, and there was uh, like one of the like star LSU football players was there. And the whole room was like jacked, right? Like everyone's like, oh my gosh, oh my gosh, oh my gosh. And everyone's like talking. And, um, and uh, so he, like he was there and he was nice, you know, and everything, whatever. And uh, turns out he hated every second of it. And people were so sad, you know. They're like, oh man, I really wish that he, he loved it. What does that mean that he didn't love it, you know? And there's like so much weight put on this guy, whether he liked it or not. And, and, and there, there was, like, I remember, like, feeling that, especially as a college minister, there's a, that it kind of washed over me a little bit of, like, man, if we could get that dude on board, that would open all kinds of doors, you know? Some of you, some of you might be, have been around long enough to remember, do you remember when Britney Spears' cousin came to the ring? Some of you remember this. She came one Sunday, and she loved it. And she told someone that the next time Britney was in town, she was going to get Brittany to come. And that, of course, spread like wildfire. Like everyone was super, super jacked about that. And guess who never came? Brittany Spears. Guess who never came again? Her cousin, you know. 
It just, it's just not, not that way. But in ministry, in, in life, there is this sense that God goes, like he really uses certain kinds of people. But you don't see that in the Bible. Like you never really see that being the pattern. Whether it's David, whether it's Moses, whether it's Noah, whether it's Paul, whether it's Peter or John or Andrew, you don't see that happening. You see Jesus saying, um, I want the person. It's the person that I'm after. The worldly constructs that we all tend to obsess about, you know, titles and money and power and influence and all these kind of things, those are, those are from a different kingdom. He said, I want, the, I want the hearts of these men. And through my transformation of their lives, we're going to literally change the world. We're going to change eternity. They're these guys who are fishermen. And so the worldly constructs are really irrelevant in the kingdom of God. And that is something he wants us to know and to embrace. It's so easy to feel like, you know, what, what can I really do? For a long time, you know, I would hear people referred to as a somebody. Like, oh, yeah, he's, a, he's becoming a real somebody, you know. The kingdom, it's like, that's just not, God doesn't even think that way, you know. It's just not how he works. So, the first disciples were fishermen. Nothing extraordinary about them. And we're here today because of these really ordinary people. Third thing. Notice what they, notice what they do. When it says that they were fishermen. When it says that, uh, let's see. Verse 20. Immediately he called them, they left their father Zebedee in the boat with the, with the hired servants and followed him. In both cases, these guys being fishermen, they were part of this long tradition, probably. But they were in a family business, definitely. And so Jesus says, leave, leave that and come, in, like, come and follow me. So what's, what lies beneath that call? Well, think about... Think about the the uncertainty of life now and then try to jump back into the first century that here were these men who had grown up in this family business they're living on this giant body of water i mean it's not it's like six or seven miles wide like 14 miles long like it's you can see from one side to the other on a clear day but it's a i mean it's a big piece of water and there's a lot of fish in it and so to grow up and you're in the Middle East and there's probably not a lot, tons of job security and you aren't really sure to, to grow up in the family business where you're, like you own a boat and you own nets and you know how to do this because your dad has trained you to do that. There's a certain security that comes. You know, they didn't have to figure out what am I going to do with my life. They kind of knew. And as much as that might like, make you feel really cramped you know, and restricted as a person, to them it was probably, uh, there was probably a ton of security in that. And it was probably very, very familiar to them. That there wasn't a lot of risk involved. They knew how to make money. They knew how to take care of their, their families and extended families and friends. They knew where they were going to live. They knew, like everything was kind of set. And it was comfortable and it was familiar and it was 
pro- it probably was a little bit cozy, you know. And Jesus comes and says, hey, I want you to leave all of that security and all that comfort and all that assurance and all the, like, the, the ups and downs and like, all the good and the bad of all this life that you know, I want you to walk away from it and follow me into this completely unknown thing called the kingdom of God. You know, this rabbi shows up and says, hey, you can be one, one with God. He can, he, can, he can bring your life and everything about you into a whole other realm. Uh, just follow me and I'll show you how it's done. Like, how crazy does that sound at first, you know? But this is a picture, like, this is a picture of what it means to be a part of the kingdom of God. This is what every one of us deals with. That we're born into a certain kind of, like, familiar context. We grow up, we learn how the world works, we understand how relationships work, we, we understand how love works and acceptance works and rejection works, and we understand how, how uh, the financial world works, and we understand all these kinds of things, and we come up in this, and we, we, like, it becomes familiar, and it becomes very comfortable, and we, under, we have these ideas of like what it means to be successful and what it means to be a failure. It, what it means to be a part of something and to be valued and to, and to belong and to be loved. And, we, and then we understand what it means to be lonely and to feel rejected. And, and so we, we kind of have this whole thing that we understand and Jesus shows up and says, hey, leave all of that behind and follow me into this like unknown thing where everything is familiar to you. Like every, everything that you have learned about how to assess your life, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to change it because it's pretty much all wrong. Everything you believe about money, I'm going to change that. Like everything you've been taught about finances and relationships and success and who you are, like your identity, where that lies, you, you have to leave all of that and come and follow me into this mysterious thing called the kingdom of God. So what they did in a very literal way of leaving the family business to follow Jesus into his family business is what we do. We leave this world that we find, like we hate it, right? But at least we, at least we know it, you know? Like it, at least it makes sense to us. And we were following him, we together are following him into this new world where he's like, okay, let me, let me tell you the truth about Money. Let me tell you the truth about forgiveness. Let me tell you the truth about your identity. Let me tell you the truth about success and failure. Let me tell you the truth about God and the truth about you and the truth about each other. And so what we see is not this un- necessarily this unique occurrence with these four guys, but we see in a visual sense what all of us who follow Jesus are called to. It's out of that world that is secure and comfortable and known and into this world that is unknown, but yet that's where we find the real security that he has for us. So that's what he wants us to know. This is a part of what it means to follow me. It's, 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 a complete, it's leaving a world that you know to follow into a better world. Fourth thing. There must be a lot of power in the calling of Jesus. I mean, look, let's, let's, let's look at it again. Passing alongside the Sea of Galilee, he saw Simon and Andrew, the brother of Simon, casting a net into the sea, for they were fishermen. 
He said to them, follow me and I will make you become fishers of men. And immediately they left their nets and followed him. Now this is not, it's not some like, like hypnotic, like tractor beam sort of thing where they didn't have a choice. This says a lot about the one making the offer. Like the one who is inviting them into something. This, like this rabbi was not like other rabbis. There's a power in the call of Jesus on our lives. When he says come, you know. Similarly, next, says, uh, and going on a little farther, he saw James, the son of Zebedee, and John, his brother, who were in their boat mending the nets. And immediately he called them, and they left their father Zebedee in the boat with the hired servants and followed him. But there's power in the call of Jesus because of the one who's doing the calling. Like when we sense, and whatever you understand by the word sense, but whenever, whenever there is that like movement of God in our lives, the, it's about the one who's doing the moving. That's, that's power there. So, Jesus went to them. They were ordinary men that changed the world. They left a world of comfort and familiarity to follow him into the unknown because of the one who was extending the invitation because he is better. So what do we, what do, we do with that? You know? Do we look at that and we, do we dismiss it as being like, well, that's their story. What's my story? Uh, uh, yes. But that statement can go one way or the other. That's their story, my story. What's my story? That can... We can assume that our story is different or we can look at our story and say, yeah, that's another way of telling my same story. It's also easy to look at this as like what it means to come to faith in Jesus for the first time. And there's more to it than that. So what does God want us to do? One thing is to make a, like a clear like severance from the kingdom of the world to follow him into his better future. Like that, that nothing, that we're not letting anything keep us tethered to the very thing that we've been rescued from. Now the, I'm going to do one of those preacher things that preaches really well, but then you're kind of, you might kind of wonder later on, like, is that really what, is that what you're supposed to do with that part of the story? Um, I don't really know, but I'm just going to do it anyway, because I think it makes a ton of sense. Notice, Verse 18. Immediately they left their nets and they followed him. Verse 20. Immediately he called them. They left their father Zebedee in the boat with the hired servants and they followed him. So one set of brothers leaves their nets behind. The other set of brothers leaves their dad behind. Like to follow Jesus, if the nets and their father, let's say that they represent ties to that, king, that old familiar life that he is calling them out of, I think there's some significance to the fact that they dropped them. You know? So I'm going to walk away from this. That in our following of Christ, there are things that can keep us tethered to the world from which we've been rescued 
And maybe we don't even realize it, you know? That there are these patterns of the world that we are in. And we're trying to be transformed by the renewal of our mind. But are there possibly things that are keeping us tied to that from which we've been rescued? There's some examples that I've used in the last couple of years, and I hadn't really thought about them in the same context, but I'm just going to bring them back because I think that they're relevant. Um, like one of them is like just the, the, the busyness of the world around us, you know? Like our schedules and, and just being, uh, like our schedules being very maxed out, but also just the internal, like just, thousand miles an hour that goes on in our in our minds i mean how many nights have you tried to go to sleep and you can't and it's not because you're not physically tired it's because your brain is just like like the hamster is just running right that we're so we're so busy there's so much so much to do so many things to take care of Um, even in seasons where you're not really worried or anxious about things there's just a lot that's there and it's very easy to kind of let that schedule fill up and it fills up and it fills up and it fills up and it fills up. And so perhaps God knowing that life is going to be busy and in some ways it's not any busier now than it used to be, but you know, maybe there's some uniqueness. Here he's given us this gift of the Sabbath. I've taught on it. We groups have talked about it. Like we've talked about this a, a ton. You can go back and listen to podcasts on it. But he built a day into the rhythm of Israel's life. And really, he's built a day into our life as well. Could that be a way of him keeping us from being tethered to the wrong kingdom? Is it possible to walk away from the kingdom of the world into the kingdom of God, but yet we're still kind of hanging on to some things? And one of those things is just the clutter and chaos of our lives. Maybe he's like, okay, so my people, you're going to take a day. And that's going to keep that tie cut. It's going to keep it severed. It's going to remind you of whose kingdom you're in now. And I'll help you order those other six days. I'll help you, I'll help you get it done. In my kingdom, that's how it works. His economy is very different than our economy. So could the Sabbath be a way that we drop our nets and walk away from those, uh, those things of the old kingdom. Another one, another one would, be, would be tithing. You know? Could it be that the tithe, and look, we're, we're not in a great financial place as a church. Many of you know that. Uh, we're struggling with this, and it's like we're, we, we're praying about it. We're trying to figure out what's going on. You know, like we're really, like we're, it's not like an uh, uncovered topic. There's a station over here. You may see people going. The prayer requests happen there, and sometimes that's how people uh, will tithe to the Lord. But could it be the tithe is, is something he's given to us as a form of dropping our nets in relation to how we view money and the kingdom that he's rescued us from? He's brought us out of a kingdom that really is driven by greed and identity in our like, possessions and like, all that kind of stuff. Could the tithe be a way that he's like, no, we're just going to keep those, we're going to keep that in the old world? Could that be what helps us live fully in the kingdom? Could it be that a part, of, a part of what we are wishing would be unlocked and unleashed in us 
that the unlocking and unleashing could come from severing that tie and letting the tie teach us how to relate to our money correctly. Um, another one is fasting. You know, Lent is a season of fasting, and, and I know that, that, that there's plenty of us in the room who are, are doing the journey with Brady and Sarah and, um, and just that, that whole thing. And, and a lot of people are, are doing uh, other kinds of like clean eating or some sort of like abstaining from something or whatever. And the, could the idea in fasting be like, hey, maybe, maybe God knew you're going to have a weird relationship with food. Or you're going to have a weird relationship with some sort of substance, some sort of thing, you know. So I'm going to build fasting into the disciplines of my people as a way of keeping you disconnected from the patterns of the world. Like I don't want, like you have to have walked away. There's a part of you that's going to want to keep one foot in that world. And so we're going to make sure that that doesn't happen. So we fast from, from food. And it changes our relationship with the Lord, our relationship with ourselves, and how you relate to food or TV or social media or whatever it is that you are abstaining from. And so we look at these things like the Sabbath and the tithe and fasting, and we see these gifts God has given us, and it could it, could it be, maybe, that he wants us to also drop our nets Say, we're walking away from that kingdom and how that kingdom functions. And maybe he's given us these disciplines, these things to practice together and learn from one another to keep us living in the right kingdom. I think that's part of what he wants us to do, is to leave it all behind. Second thing. um, When he calls us into new and deeper things, I think he wants us to follow immediately. Like, In in both cases, with each set of brothers, they immediately drop what they were doing and they followed him. That doesn't mean we're supposed to be like like uh, make a rash decision or or be real unwise or anything like that. But there is an immediacy about what's what what has happened. So these occurrences were probably a year after they first met Jesus. This wasn't like their very first encounter with him. Uh, you can see in other, in other gospels that they had uh, spent time with him and they had kind of been involved. And there had come a point previously where they had at some point become like spiritual followers of Jesus, a lot of it through the ministry of John the Baptist. And so these guys were already, they were already like, like maybe committed in a sense. But they weren't like leave the family business and follow him committed. Like that wasn't like on their radar, but they were like buying into and believing that this rabbi and this like this messiah was coming and so they were they were spiritually on board and now Jesus comes to them and says I'm ready to take you to a deeper place let's go and they immediately say yeah let's do it that over the course of our lives what happens is we come into that initial like realizing like, man, I'm a, I'm a broken person that needs divine intervention. And Jesus is like, he is the one that God, like God has come to me. And I want to be completely his. I believe in everything that he has said. And there's that initial like connection with Jesus. And if you may not have, have had that, like that uh, moment, you know. And if so, I'd love to talk to you about that tonight. There's that, that first introduction to Jesus where you, you're like, yeah, I believe that he's the rescuer and I want him to be, to be my rescuer. But then as you walk with him 
and especially those of you who've walked for a long time, don't you find that there are moments kind of like this one where he's like, hey, it's time for more. I'm ready to go to a deeper place. I'm ready to, to take on a challenge. I'm, I'm, like it's, it's time to deal with this. It's time to have this conversation. It's, it's time to confess this. It's time to whatever. And he's like, we're going we're gonna to take this relationship to a deeper level. I think he wants us to immediately like, say yes to that, just like they did. Now, for very few of you, it means you're going like, to quit your job, walk away from your family, all that kind of stuff, right? That's not really what we're talking about here. It's not, it's not, even, uh, it's not about that. It's about saying yes to what Jesus is like, calling you into. And so as he calls us deeper, I think what we're supposed to do in response to this is to see their example Say, yeah, look, look, at who's, look at who's inviting me. If Jesus is going to say, hey, let's, let's go in this direction, then who, who else do we want guiding our lives? So, making a clear disconnect from the kingdom that we've been rescued from. When we sense him calling us into something deeper, when there's conviction, when there's just like, I don't know, when there's just a lot of ways to do that, I don't want to over, overstate that. But when Jesus is calling us deeper, we immediately go. And the third thing I think that we do in response to this is we look at these guys and we see how much courage they had. Like it took a lot of guts to do this. took a lot of guts to say no to the security and comfort of the family business to go and follow this rabbi into this unknown brand new thing that no one had heard of yet it took a lot of courage to walk away from dad to drop the nets to cut the ties with all the comfort and everything that could have that that could offer it's going to take a lot of courage for you and I to break those ties keep those ties severed to follow him into what's next, because a lot of times it, that's not like the most comfortable thing in the world. So when Joshua was about to take him in the promised land, you know, not into the promised land, but in like the next like leg of the journey, and Moses had died, and he's like taken over, and what's God keep telling him? Be strong and very courageous. I'm with you wherever you go. If we're going to follow the example of these men, I mean, these men who, like, if you follow their, their trajectory of these four, they've, really, they've literally changed the world, and we're here because of them. It took a lot of guts. Whatever he's calling you into is going to take a lot of guts. And so as he is calling us, that we ask him for help in being strong and being very courageous being reminded that he's with us wherever we go. So where does it land with you? I have no idea. But I bet you kind of do. I bet there's a lot of us in this room who you've just kind of felt the stirring of the Lord in some specific ways. Sometimes it's a feeling. Sometimes it's just an idea that just keeps coming and coming and coming and coming. Sometimes it's a verse that you just wish you could forget, but you can't. A song lyric, like the earworm kind of thing, where you just can't get that particular lyric out of your brain. It'd be something that you've been saying no to for a long time, and perhaps these are the days when he calls you 
And you say immediately, yes. And you ask him for courage and he helps you. So how, that is, how this applies to you, that's between you and him. Uh, we're just gonna, we're gonna do what we do here, which is respond in a couple of different ways. These steps are open for you. If, you, if physically coming and kneeling and praying is helpful, that's cool. We're gonna be singing. Taylor's gonna be serving communion. And a part of, of stepping, stepping to the table is, again, I say this a lot, it's the acknowledgement that Jesus has what you need. He is what you need, and he's offering that to us. That in order to follow him more deeply and to say yes to what he's calling you into, you're going to need his grace, which he is freely offering to you. Um, And so we're going to kind of just move in and out of those three responses before we close our time. Let's stand together. Let me pray for us. Father, your goodness to us is uh, its clearly seen in many ways, and it is, uh, it's mysterious to us in a lot of other ways. And um, I'm thankful for both. And in this group that's gathered tonight, uh, it's amazing to think that you are a big enough God to be able to to know what each of us uh, needs, to be able to call us, draw us, stir in us in specific ways. Every one of us is, as individuals, you're big enough to tend to us in those ways. And so whatever has like just leapt to the forefront of, of our minds tonight in terms of what you're calling us to, just kind of ask on behalf of all of us to help for help in stewarding that well that could you help us as we sing and pray and take communion together could you work all those things uh, in a way that builds our our faith in you and the courage that it takes to be obedient and say yes would you break ties tonight through through uh, us like giving and like tithing to you, would you help uh, with that, would you help us um, in our fasting and praying this season, would you would you help us in all of the, the ways that maybe we are tied to the, the very world that you've rescued us from would you help us, because we want to be completely yours so we thank, thank you for your patience and asking these moments together as we process some things and respond that you would just have your way among us. The table is open. You can come when you're ready. So let's just respond in these different ways.